You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national covering down on all the issues. And like that dude just said, solid conservative and just plain right. Well, it is uh, it is Monday all day long. Just, it's just Monday. I'm just, I don't know what else to tell you. It's, it's Monday. But, hey, Boomer's on the board. Hey, buddy. It's just Monday. <laughs> it's a Monday, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to bring a little light into their lives for a Monday, brother. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, did you have a good weekend? Great weekend. Now yeah. I'm back here in the studios ready to go, ready to start the show. All right. Let's get her done. <laughs> uh, we got some stuff for you. So at 3.30 p.m. today, State Senator Larry Stutz is going to be calling in. Uh, Senator Stutz, uh, one of the more conservative members of the Alabama Senate, uh, somebody I served with when I was down there, uh, he is going to be apparently carrying a school choice bill this year, a major piece of school choice legislation. And I want to see it get moved. I want to see something happen here. I am tired of the same old, same old in the Alabama legislature. Let's get something moving here on school choice. It is, it is so far beyond time. I got plenty to talk about on that, but we'll start with State Senator Larry Stutz, 3.30 p.m., calling in to discuss his bill. So there's that. And then on top of that, though, I got a triple dipper full of stuff, so Boomer, hit it. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right, the Triple Dipper. Three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. Number one, I'm just calling it, what's the story? What is the story? Well, there's a, a album by Oasis, the uh, original um, like big album they had called What's the Story Morning Glory? That keeps running through my head. But how about this? How about when they deliberately twist the narrative to tell us that things that we know are true aren't true? I got some examples, and I got some thoughts on it, and I also got some ideas about whether there should or should not be a law regarding what they like to call disinformation. We'll talk about it. Number one, what's the story? Number two, choosing choice. So, yeah, we're going down that road today on education. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, in my opinion, it's not about funding. It's not about giving raises. It's not about, you know, finding a new way to build new facilities. None of that is ever going to be as important as diversifying the means by which we allow education to be, you know, brought to bear in this state through education choice. So number two on the Triple Dipper, choosing choice. And then number three, I mean, I don't know what else to call this one. I'm just calling it what right looks like. So there are a number of governors who are being seen as those who are out in front, leading the way, championing the causes that people care about, getting stuff done, driving their economies, turning things around, and not everybody else is doing it. I think some of those are what right looks like, and we're going to talk about that as number three on the Triple Dipper. Now, let me, let me just run down my comments for the day, and I'll start by just kind of laying it out there that I'm aware that prejudice exists, all right? I'm not surprised by it. Uh, I am aware that prejudice truly exists in the world. I'm also aware that we as a nation have come so far from the roots of what other people believe are still present. I do not believe we are a systemically racist nation, not at all. Uh, do I believe it's existed in a, an official capacity in the past? Absolutely. And I admit that. 
Well, I will say that we're not a systemically racist nation now, but what's interesting to me is the fact that we appear to be watching a complete twist. As if, okay, those that say racism, 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 now want to exert their prejudices in a different way, but that's okay because they do it. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever been in the position of realizing that someone who has a position of authority or influence over you, they had already decided you didn't measure up and you should therefore have to have to deal with a separate outcome that nobody else should have to put up with? So yeah, I just described the root of prejudice and it's more than just racism. To be sure, prejudice is a part of racism, but prejudice can extend to far more than just race. Prejudice is the preconceived opinion of someone or something that is not always based on reason or actual experience. Under the law, it can also be something that results in harm. And when you couple prejudice with a position of influence over someone's life, well, then you get a recipe for disaster. Prejudice tries to operate around barriers. Prejudice looks for loopholes and workarounds to maintain its bias, even though, at its worst, prejudice takes action against someone for this no good reason. But prejudice can also be found in indifference, like, you know, eh, you don't matter as much to me, so therefore I'm not going to try and help your situation. Well, here was one of my personal moments. Let me describe something to you that happened to me 20 years ago this month. So 20 years ago this month, I was preparing to take the bar exam. But I was doing so a year later than planned because 9-11 had happened and I had deployed immediately for Afghanistan right before taking the bar. So after a year of living among the Afghan people, I returned home to try and get my life back on track, which included taking the bar exam, something that I had worked to get ready for for years. Imagine my shock when I was told that some of the prerequisites that I had gotten in place before I left for Afghanistan had expired because I had been away for a year. Well, imagine my further shock when I let the bar know that all of my prerequisites, though they had been completed in timely fashion, that they weren't going to count them, only to find out they didn't care. It didn't matter that everything had been done to standard. It didn't matter that the delay would have set me back another year or more. With an attitude of indifference, I was told, eh, you know, put it in writing. The bar examiners will consider it. So I did. Sure that they would understand that I was not slacking. I did it all. I did it right. But I was called away to war, but to no avail. With a complete lack of care and a complete expressed level of indifference, the head of the state bar told me on the phone that he just didn't see any way to help me. You know, sorry, can't help you. And if I wanted to, in his words, I could, quote, use some of that good law school learning that I got and appeal it. Well, he shouldn't have said that because I did. I may be the only attorney in the state of Alabama who had to actually sue the state bar to be allowed to take the bar exam. Now, the story's longer than I got time to tell, but suffice to say, I won. It didn't stop there, though. A few months later, as I arrived at the testing site to take that multi-day test called the bar exam, I was surprised to find out that the anonymity that I was supposed to be allowed to have was not there for me. As I signed in and prepared to, be give my prepared to be given my personal passcode by which all my papers and answers would be graded, the lady looked up at me and she goes, oh, you're Phil Williams. Not a question. It was a statement. I said, yes, ma'am. To which she responded, you'll be sitting right over there and pointed to the front row center seat in the large auditorium style room, the very seat in front of which the guy who had told me on the phone that he couldn't help me stood to address the room a few minutes later, as if he wanted to stand in front of me and stare. So it was indifference at first, then it was intimidation. It's interesting to me that the very organization whose existence is there to support the members of the legal community and to oversee their qualifications for service in the legal profession, it was wrong on the application of law and it took legal action to prove it. Why? I don't know. 
Maybe he didn't like me or my law firm or my law school. I don't know. Maybe he didn't believe that I would do anything about it because he believed himself to be above my concerns. You see, I've learned that not every form of prejudicial behavior can be explained. But I've also learned that almost without fail, the bullies and the go-along, the get-alongs and those calloused, indifferent people, all of whom will at sometimes allow their individual prejudices to stand against you, that they will often back down when they're finally confronted with truth. I say all that and tell that story because this morning an article came out that just intrigued me. In a world in which the mantra has become diversity, equity, inclusion, we're finding more and more that prejudice has now flipped the script into a new realm of negative action or indifference. Basically, in what amounts to a round of prejudice in corporate action, we're seeing more and more that if we are conservatives in our views, holding fast to traditional values, that there are those entities that will lash out or at the best simply become just callous and indifferent. They could care less. There's an organization now called the 1792 Exchange, which I just learned about in that article. It has issued a report showing that there are 51 major corporations around the U.S. that it says has taken it upon themselves to treat conservatives differently. Named for the year the American Stock Exchange was founded, the 1792 Exchange says that it exists to, quote, preserve freedom of religion, speech, and enterprise by countering, quote, woke capitalism. The 1792 Exchange has a mission to develop policy and resources to protect from wokeness in the market and, you know, ESG policies and finance. And in doing so, it compiled a pretty darn good look at major companies that have taken upon themselves to have differing standards, not on race and gender like old school racism, but on values, pure prejudice, woke standards that automatically create a prejudice toward anyone who dares to have a differing worldview. It's a bent toward conservatism, and you may wind up, you know, being deplatformed if you have it, or denied a loan or having an opportunity closed to you for no other reason except that the prejudicial views are there against your own views. Now, some of the examples listed are like Bank of America, who vets its vendors based upon whether they have a commitment to LGBTQ views. It ceased lending with some gun manufacturers. Bank of America has also provided funding to Planned Parenthood as well as the Southern Poverty Law Center, which has a long track record of targeting conservatives. You don't like the agenda? You don't promote ESG or LGBTQ? Then you might not do business with Bank of America. Or how about Ben & Jerry's? Also noted in the 1792 exchange report, the famous Vermont-based ice cream company has promoted defund the police campaigns. It's opposed legislation meant to limit election fraud. It's said that criminal justice system must be dismantled. It's openly advocated for pro-abortion policies, among many other actions. But the report does more than just make people aware of the woke prejudice that is becoming more and more pervasive in the woke corporations. It also talks about what to do about it. Make it known. Make yourself known to them. Ask for them to revise their position for good cause. And then when that doesn't work, and much like me with the state bar, there will be times when it does not work, then there will be a need for legal and or legislative action. The article ends by this saying this quote, quote, if conservatives don't make a concerted effort to fight back against woke corporations, then America could soon be transformed beyond repair. Now, I'll be honest, if I had just sat still in my own story, if I had just sat still and taken my lumps from the callous indifference of the state bar 20 years ago, it would have delayed me from being able to practice law for another year. Actually, what I didn't know then was that if I, if I could have looked forward, I would have seen that my second tour of duty was coming to go overseas again, and that meant that it would have gotten in the way, and maybe even it would have been a delay of two to three years. I had to take action. 
and no less so in the realm of current woke capitalism that we see today in the world. Because if we sit still and we say nothing and we do nothing, then that prejudicial behavior will just continue to work harm that goes beyond what we might even be able to foresee. Well, not on my watch. We're going to call it out on the show when we see it, and I hope that you're going to do the same in your own personal lives. And that's a wrap. That's a wrap for The Right Side Way. Well, there you have it. Yes, indeedy. I may be the only lawyer who had to sue the bar to be allowed to be in the bar. Wow. Uh, but it was all because of this guy just has a calloused indifference, this prejudicial position that just left me sitting there wondering what I was going to do about it. He could care less. Well, we're seeing that right now in corporate America. They could care less how we feel. They could do without us. Really? We'll see how that works out. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. That's what I like to say. Uh, text lines are open, by the way. 833, where am I? 833 687 4448. It's like my microphone went out there for a second. 833 687 4448. That's 833 68 right. Oh, boomer. Is it going to be Monday all day? Uh, it's gonna be a Monday all like all day long Monday day long Mon- Monday's be coming in like like <laughs> like crazy like you'd be talking out your head Phil Williams, um, JT from Lacey Springs just texted in he said appreciate the repeat of your comments there's always five points I didn't grasp or take as serious I'm not sure what he means by a repeat of my comments okay um, maybe I've if I told that story before I don't think I have maybe I have uh, but nonetheless JT you are most welcome uh, Tony from Piedmont. He says the Department of Energy that produces no energy has come up with what we've known for at least a year and a half. Yes, sir. Tony, you stand by, brother. That's going to be a part of my first dipper. What's the story? Talking about the fact that apparently someone somewhere has now decided that, oh, by the way, maybe COVID came from the Chinese Wuhan lab. Just (laughs) boomer laughs. Tell me, boomer, how long have you known that in your heart of hearts? Oh, let's see. Uh, Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. COVID started when? Yeah, right about then. Right about then. Right, right when we heard it. Just about that time. Yeah. That whole thing. So, <laughs> no, nobody ate a bat sandwich uh, that came from the wet market in Wuhan, uh, just which happened to be right down the road from the freaking Wuhan lab. No, I'm pretty sure that we've known all along. They just didn't want to deal with the narrative. Uh, Allie from Athens is texting and says, Colonel, thank you so much for fighting in the sandbox as well as for your law career. Thank you, my sister. I appreciate that very much. Brian from Huntsville. Um, well, what's he saying here to me? Uh, Brian from Huntsville that says, please, Lord, guide me to forgive others as you forgive me, yet allow me to stand firm in your word. Yes, indeed, sir. Wow, that's a great, that's a great line. Uh, Boomer McQueen's a whole lot better than whatever YouTube show McQueen Boomer is. I don't know. What, what does that mean? <laughs> Who's that from? That's from John from Huntsville. John. What's he saying? Uh, anyway. Oh, oh, he found a YouTube video called McQueen McQueen Boomer, not Boomer and McQueen. What? And it's about Lightning McQueen and, and something. That's what he's talking about. And really? 
So I'm going to have to go check it out. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll hope it's not something that's inappropriate no. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. No, we are Boomer and McQueen, the right life. Stupid. You want the right life. That's what you want. That's right. That's right. That's right. Which is going really well, by the way. It, it is. It uh, is. You're almost up to ten. How many? How many? Uh, oh man, and I uh, podcast out. We we we're, we got eleven out right now, and then we're gonna be um, putting out another two this week. Sweet. I know. Sweet. Um, okay, so Jeremy from Huntsville just said that I have told the story about suing the bar before. I did not know that. I I have not heard it. Well, thank you. So I really enjoyed it. All right, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm glad you heard it before and heard it twice and still liked it, and I'm glad Boomer heard it for the first time. Um, that, by the way, uh, I will say this. You know what? I do have this vague recollection of having told it before because I think I said this on the air, Boomer. So the guy who was such a turd to me on the phone, <laughs> the one who was like, hey, you know, I can't help you. Hey, sorry, bud. Uh, good luck to you. Use some of that good law school learning you got. You know, go appeal it. I mean, what a what a joke. Anyway... And then he's the one who, by the way, made sure that I got sat right smack in front of him, you know, when I had to take the bar exam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A few years later, I'm a state senator. I get on the elevator, and who gets on to come speak at my committee hearing? He gets on, and he looks at me and goes, hello, oh, hi, senator. Oh. <laughs> it was one of those moments where I just looked at him, and I said, and how are you? Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was an enjoyable yes. moment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, JT from Lacey Springs wants to chime in and say, yes, you shared the bar exam conflict some I don't remember this, but okay. Dadgummit. You know, here you do. You think you're, you think you're working <laughs> on something original. You're all excited about it, and everybody's like, dude, heard that one. Oh, man. Anyway, text lines are open, so you can either uh, tell me you heard it before or tell me you heard it for the first time, or tell me whatever you want to tell me, 833-687-4448. By the way, Boomer and I had uh, the enjoyable opportunity of meeting Rita from Scottsboro yes, today. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Thank you very much. Rita came by the studio with her friend Colleen, paid a visit, and I brought us a little something which was epic cool. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, it just it's very cool when you get to put the, the, the names with the faces, you know? Oh, and, yeah. And um, what an amazing audience we have. But yeah, uh, Rita, if you're listening, uh, we love you, and we appreciate the opportunity to meet you in person and certainly appreciated. Um, you know, you spending that much time uh, bringing something to us. Yes. Wow. Thank you so much. Wow. How cool. All right. Uh, Badger from Athens is texting and says, that turd may have been pushing you to see how bad you truly wanted it. Nah. Nah. That wasn't it. Hey, he could care less. All right, folks. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. Side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, Solid Conservative, just plain right. Oh, man. Boomer, you're the man. Oh, I well, just, thank you. I read that on a bathroom wall somewhere, and I thought I'd just tell you. You are you are. I actually man. wrote it on that wall, but <laughs> I, I just wanted to make myself feel better. But thank you. <laughs> well played. <laughs> uh, all right, good deal. Um, hey, by the way, uh, text that. Uh, Boomer, if you would, on the text line, check yeah. that message we just got from Jeff from Holly Pond, something about making sure that we don't have some uh, blank spaces out uh, there. So, I'll check it. Thank you, buddy. Jeff from Holly Pond, thank you very much for giving us the heads up. Hey, so here's the first part of the Triple Dipper. I'm calling it What's the Story? All right, so there's a fine line between hardcore and stupid. All right? Take that for what it's worth. There's a fine line between hardcore and stupid, meaning, like, we used to say that all the time in the military. Like, so, you know, you know, you go jump out of an airplane. Well, that's, that's pretty hardcore. But, you know, you don't jump out without a parachute. That would be stupid. So there's a, there's a fine line between hardcore and stupid, and sometimes that line gets a little blurry. Well, there's also a fine line between holding somebody accountable and going overboard to the point that you now control the flow to the point that there can't even be a narrative. Am I making sense? I'm not sure if I am. Here's the thing that got me started on this. Article in Forbes, it's actually an opinion piece, came out just last week by somebody named Jody Westby. I don't know who Jody Westby is. Maybe I need to look it up. But he starts off by just taking issue, which I think everybody would take issue with this, about a story that broke on The Guardian about a group of Israeli contractors who engage in, by their own admission, engage in election manipulations. They, they literally have some proprietary software that they use that helps them to control thousands of fake profiles on social media like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all of them. And some of these fake accounts are then tied to credit cards that allow them to you know, boost their postings and all these kind of things cryptocurrency wallets, all of it. And they brag that they provide false information to reputable news sources, and then they pick up the stories, and then they magnify them by blasting them out on their own bots. And then the story, they say, provides hard evidence that disinformation can be manipulative in an election. Okay. I'm not denying that. I'm not. Where I get concerned, though, is where this guy went next. Because his claim next in the piece is that means we need a law, a law to stop people from saying stuff we don't like. Really? That's a good idea? Mm, no. He, I mean, he wants to do what he calls intentionally stopping the misrepresentation of facts in political campaigns. Well, good luck with that. Bipartisan fashion, there's too much of what we call in the legal world puffery. Puffery is just the weakest sounding word, but puffery basically means you sort of puffed up your resume, you bragged, you made yourself look a little bigger than you really are. Okay, there's that. Then there's a lie. Puffery and a lie are not the same thing. So what is it this guy wants to limit? Well, he's, he's apparently taking issue with the idea of someone creating fake personalities, creating a fake buzz on social media about a fake storyline that they believe can help manipulate public opinion. Okay, I see that problem. But what he wants, though, is a law, in his own words, passed by Congress that protects voters from disinformation that would not only clean up the election process, it would make it harder for foreign governments to amplify. I get it. But then he goes on to say, we should have disinformation combined with political polling and the messaging can then be targeted and honed for... No, absolutely not. 
What he did was he, he went way beyond the pale. I get it. If you've got fraud, and there's a difference. If you've got fraud, the intent to deceive, all right? If you've got an actionable intent to deceive, if you are, and, and by the way, George Santos right now is the, the poster boy for lied about his resume, right? And he's a Republican. George Santos claiming all these things. I worked for Goldman Sachs. I had, a, I had this on my resume. I had that degree. I used to do these things. And, mm, no, those are called lies. There's no, there's no uh, uh, I was in the Army for five years, but it was really four. No, none of that. No, there's no puffery. There's a lie. Now, but, but then the idea of taking away the ability of someone to have a differing opinion is where it gets really scary, like really scary, like it can't happen. Like if we, if we let ourselves go down too far down that road, there may be no coming back. At some point, if you're controlling the narrative or the allowance to even have a narrative, then what are you really doing to society? So... I'm going to get, to, by the way, in case you're wondering, yes, indeedy, I am getting to the uh, issue of uh, China uh, uh, and, and the Wuhan lab with the new report that came out. That's part of the narrative piece I'm talking about. But, but let me give you a few other examples. For instance, I've got an article here from National Review came out uh, yesterday. Headline is the nonsensical narratives in East Palestine. So you've seen the thing about the train wreck in uh, the derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, uh, the chemical uh, endangerment of the entire community. And you've also seen, by the way, the lack of response from the Biden administration, which is now trying to spin things. Now that they are weeks down the road, Pete Booty Judge, who finally made it out there, has tried to pin the accident on the Trump administration. Hmm, really? So we're told that we can't have a narrative about something, but they're allowed to spin things to that level. But when do we actually need a law to do it for us? When do we need a law to decide that we are or are not allowed to say or even hear something. It's a dangerous road. It's that fine line, that fine line between hardcore and stupid. Well, there's a fine line between preventing fraud and controlling a narrative. It's a fine line when you've got politicians that are willing to do like what Pete Booty Judge did to save his own flagging career. He finally goes down there, stands around in designer shoes, and then he comes out and goes, well, you know, the real problem is the Trump administration didn't take issue with this uh, a few years ago. No, dude. No. It's on your watch. Go down there and work to fix the problem. But now I can't do that. Got to have an alternative narrative. Got to make sure we put the story out the way we need the story to be heard. And, okay, we're not dummies. We can see it. There are those that are going to love Pete Booty Judge no matter what he does. If they found pictures of him doing strange things in a drawer somewhere, uh, they would still love him. And then there are those like us who look at him sideways and go, yeah, no, we don't, we don't agree. But do we need a law to do that? And, 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 I, and I, would, I would dare say that there are going to be times when certainly you need laws to prevent bad behavior or to reinforce good behavior. There's other times, though, when not making a law is the better form of justice. And what we don't need is the peddling of, you know, fear-mongering, and why we need a law to tell us what narratives we're allowed to hear or not hear. Here's a classic example. Redstate.com has a piece. came out uh, Saturday. It's called The Tucker Effect. 
Tucker Carlson has liberals just freaking out right now. Why? Well, for a variety of reasons, <laughs> not the least of which is that Tucker has been given access to the 41,000 hours of closed-circuit TV footage related to January 6th. Okay, so I thought the story was in. I thought we were done with this. No, we're not done with it. And now what's happened is this. Liberals are freaking out. Wait, Tucker, wait, Tucker got what? Tucker did what? So yeah, a group of media organizations, including CBS News, is now demanding their own access to a tranche of surveillance and police videos from the January 6th assault. The letter was sent, believe it or not, on behalf of CBS, CNN, Politico, ProPublica, ABC, Axios, Advanced Scripts, LA Times, and Gannett. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, every one of those has been espousing a different narrative for the last several years. The only reason why they're freaking out is because suddenly Tucker Carlson may wind up looking, making them look bad because they were so locked into a narrative and they beat up anybody who dared to speak differently as opposed to that narrative that now the truth may come out and they don't know what to do about it. That's what's happening. They're demanding the access that the article points out. But the primary question that rears up in response is, if you already thought you had the story and reported it, why do you need the access now two years later? Oh, because you just sat back and enjoyed the narrative. And you didn't do any hard reporting. And now you want the rest of us to go, hmm, what do we think? Oh, now we're allowed to think? Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is a, this is a, this is a big deal. And by the way, if you, if you look at things like uh, George Orwell's 1984, he had the whole thing about Newspeak, the idea that they could change the narrative by changing the language, or that they also had, by the way, the idea control, the thought police, the ability to tell you what you will think and what you are not allowed to think. And if they used Newspeak, it helped control the thought processes. And if they gave you the narrative and you didn't stay with it, they could do away with you. What we do not need is a series of laws put in place that tells us what to think. We have to be a thinking people on our own, period. And the, the most damning of all of the narratives has been what has been perpetrated on the American people over the COVID-19 mess for the last several years. Because there are still now laws on the books telling doctors what they are allowed to think regardless of their medical uh, practice and regardless of their medical experience. There are laws on the books, and there are people wanting more laws on the books that go back and shape the history. Well, it's a dangerous road to go down. So this whole point of my first part of the Triple Dipper was You've got to know how to research on your own. And granted, you're going to find things that aren't true, and you're going to have to weed through it. But we have got to be a society of thinkers who are willing to reach out and avoid getting stuck in groupthink and getting stuck in the idea of a government-sponsored narrative, or for that matter, a government-banned narrative. That's where trouble really begins when it comes to what is the story. All right, Boomer, take us to a break, brother. We'll do that right now. We'll come back, and I'm going to dive into the next half of that discussion. What's the story? What's the story on COVID? Brand new report. Have you heard it? Yeah, we have a brand new report that actually assigns blame in maybe in places that we already knew but we were told not to think about. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Uh, I got I got several folks on the text line here, 833-687-4448. That's 833-68-RIGHT. Uh, John from Brownsboro. Uh, let's see what he say. Why has no one tied the timeline together between the Chinese police starting to shoot protesters in Hong Kong that was just getting international attention and the sudden pandemic? Never heard another word about it. I, I don't know, John. In fact, I don't know that I've ever even heard that. So that's interesting. We'll, we'll take a look. Um, but uh, John from Huntsville. Uh, just said, um, what, what, what did he send me now this time? <laughs> I don't know what he's, uh, every once in a while, I got to read John's uh, text lines uh, two or three times before I know exactly what he's telling me. I'll get back to it, John. Thank you very much. Uh, Lynn from Knoxville. He said, um, similar story in 81. He said he was in basic training at Fort Benning. One of the platoon drill sergeants uh, in E7 treated us horribly to the point that he was removed. His platoon sergeant, and I made sure he realized who I was, I did tell him he was going to keep an eye on him, but that was it. Never used my rank like that before or afterwards. That was poetic justice. Good for you, man. Good for you. He said, fast forward years, a few years later, I was a second lieutenant at Fort Campbell walking through an EIB testing site. A group of soldiers see me. They call me to attention. I salute. As I'm saluting, he said, I recognize that same E7. So I held my salute, and it was the same E7 that treated us like dirt. Yes, indeed. That sounds like a scene from the end of Band of Brothers uh, when you had that uh, kind of epic Captain Sobel. You salute the rank, not the man. Um, good stuff, man. Appreciate you, Lynn from Knoxville. Thank you for your service, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Tony from Piedmont. Um, uh, yes, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, complimenting me on the issue of, uh, seeing the guy in the elevator sometime later on. Uh, Tyler from Huntsville. Tyler from Huntsville. Had never heard the bar exam story. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll be in the area all day. Thank you very much. All right, so let's get back to this. Uh, You want to text in. The topic right now is, what's the story? So here's one for you. More reason, by the way, why disinformation laws could be very dangerous. Because when the narrative is demanded, when the narrative is mandated, when the narrative is either told what it will be or disallowed as to be anything other, I'll just tell you right now, it's a dangerous place to be in when that's the official policy. Did, did that just make sense? Anyway, the, it, it's hard not having an audience here once in a while. Boomer, clap or something. Say something for me. All right, thank you very much. So the reality is this. The narrative for the last several years has been, nothing to see here. Fauci's right. All these things. Hey, get in line, you. It's a vaccination pandemic, a, you know, the, the, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, a new thing came out in the last couple of days. Headline here, I've got several stories in a row. Headline here, Fox News. Republicans erupt after Energy Department reportedly says that COVID-19 likely came from the Chinese lab. Mm. All the more reason why disinformation laws should not happen. Says congressional Republicans erupted on Twitter Sunday afternoon after the U.S. Energy Department reportedly assessed that the COVID-19 pandemic likely originated from an accidental lab leak in China. Huh. Wow. So when you ask those questions a couple years ago, what were you told? You were deplatformed. You were told, hey, buddy, get in line. Not now. The Energy Department. My first thought was, by the way, why is the Energy Department writing a report on this? Why is that necessary? Well, because apparently the Department of Energy, it has oversight over biological labs. Hmm. 
says the lab leak theory or the theory that the virus came from a lab leak at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China, was widely dismissed as a conspiracy theory and misinformation by Democrats, major news outlets, scientists, social media companies back in the day, early days of the pandemic. Regarding China's lab leak being proven right does not matter, said Senator Tom Cotton now. What matters is holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable so it doesn't happen again. Because here's the thing. The Energy Department came out with their report just this weekend that says that literally they are now determined that there is a likelihood that the Wuhan lab is the source. Not a bat sandwich from the wet market in Wuhan. By the way, there should never be some place called a wet market. That's just off. That's yeah. Off. That's, yeah, that's just a little off. Yeah, that's just kind of gross. <laughs> but yeah, you know, Fauci told us, hey, no, nothing to see here. I am science. Don't you question me. I am science. Former director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he knew that Wuhan lab was a potential source, says Senator Eric Schmidt, and he dismissed it. And we know what happened next. So... All this to say, we now have the National Intelligence Council and four other agencies that have assessed at what they call a low confidence that the COVID-19 pandemic originated due to the transmission from an infected animal, while the CIA and others are undecided. But yet the Energy Department and the FBI have now come out and said, no, 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 we have a measure of confidence that indeed, indeed come from uh, the the Wuhan lab, a, a leak in some capacity. Folks, here's why we can't have misinformation laws. Because the level, the magnitude of of blowback on anybody who dared to question the narrative back in the day was awful. Can you imagine if it had been weaponized with actual law? Can you imagine if they'd had the force of, now they, I'll be honest, they had the force of censorship. They had the force of deplatforming. They had the force of that same corporate woke prejudice that I talked about earlier. And they did have, to some degree, a level of, you know, government action they could take against you, like the vaccine mandates for a period of time. But all that to say, the narrative that you couldn't question the source was wrong. And I got more on this when we get back, and I'll kind of wrap this up. But here's the deal. What's the story? Well, the story is we don't need a law to tell us what the story is. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. You guys stay tuned. We will be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right you're listening live to right side radio with phil williams it's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side right side radio Solid, conservative, and just plain right. 
Alabama syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national covering down on all of the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. So time now, 306. Second hour? Second hour. Second hour. Wow. Second hour. Okay. Hey, second hour. All right, <laughs> here we go. So I'm in number one of the Triple Dipper. What's the story? The whole point of this, the, the, the premise of this discussion right now is that we, we don't need a bunch of you know, laws being put in place that tell us what we're allowed to think or what narrative we're allowed to believe. Now, granted, I'm for truth, all right? I want to see truth prevail at all times. I, I don't, I don't want to see uh, fraud. And there's a big difference, though, between fraud, the intent to deceive someone, and you know what I would call... Um, misinformation or puffery or whatever else. But we've had a whole bunch of CYA and narrative spinning uh, about COVID over the last few years. Can you imagine what it would have been if we had had true force of law, like Congress took action to tell you what you were allowed to think? I say that because as we get into this piece about now the Department of Energy the U.S. Department, the Biden Department of Energy, for crying out loud, is saying that they have um, some measure of, of belief that the leak of, a leak from the Wuhan lab is the origin of COVID. Wow. Hello. The interesting piece is the article on National Review is the first one where I saw it say, and I verified it in another source. So a story came out yesterday. says the report, which was included in an update to a 2021 document by the Director of National Intelligence, was recently provided to the White House and other lawmakers, and sources told the Wall Street Journal that the updated assessment from the Energy Department about the Wuhan leak is the result of new intelligence. Oh, so you found out something new. Okay, now I'll go with that. Now, we may have all had a gut in the past that said, it came from the lab, but we didn't have the smoking gun. I get it. But we were told we weren't allowed to talk about the smoking gun from the lab. We were told we were not allowed to speculate. We were told that was an inappropriate narrative. We were told that we were racist if we thought that Chinese might have done this. We were told that we were trying to basically perpetrate a, a fraud upon the public. It's a, it's a, it, was a, it was a bat. Somebody ate a bat and it caused it. Now we're finding out, oh, wait a minute. They've got some new intel. What's the story? Well, the story, number one, may be, the backstory here may be, don't put laws in place that dictate whether or not you're allowed to stray from the narrative. Because guess what? Two years later, at the very least, if you take this at face value, at the two years later, they found some new evidence. Enough to make them revise their narrative. White House National Security <laughs> Advisor Jake Sullivan uh, he ain't convinced, though. He goes, quote, here's what I can tell you. President Biden has directed repeatedly every element of our intel community to put effort and resources behind getting to the bottom of this question. Blah, 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 blah. He says, if we gain any further insider information, we'll share it with Congress. Certainly they will. And we'll share it with the American people. I believe that. But right now, he says, there's not a definitive answer that has emerged from the intel community. Now, there's not. I'll grant him this. I'll grant him there's not a definitive answer that has emerged in the public sphere. Let's put it that way. But we do have the Department of Energy and the FBI both assessing 
that there is reason to believe a leak at the Wuhan lab occurred, and yet we were told we couldn't think that way. Pray tell what would have happened had we had a law in place that told us how to think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I won't even go down that one. Townhall.com has a similar article. Ted, Cru <coughs> Ted Cruz, though, came out, and he torched the Washington Post fact-checkers because in back in May of 2020, Daily Wire has a piece, came out yesterday. Daily Wire reports that Senator Ted Cruz mocked the Washington Post fact-checker Glenn Kessler on Sunday over the release of this new intel report that shows that the Department of Energy believes coronavirus originated in the Chinese lab. Pray tell, why would that be? Maybe because back in May of 2020, Kessler just like shamed Ted Cruz for daring to have a different narrative. Yeah. And, and basically mocked Senator Cruz for not looking at the evidence to which Cruz had to go out there and sort of clarify things with him back in the day about, hmm, you're a reporter. How about you just report? But what we have now is that same reporter on his heels because whereas he had mocked a U.S. senator for having a narrative back in the day, now that U.S. senator is going, how you like me now? Well, here's the thing. Here's the, here's, the, here's the poster child for bad ideas. Gavin Newsom, California. I'll wrap it with this. Story from thehill.com exactly 30 days ago today. Federal judge blocks California misinformation law. This is why you don't do it. This is why it's a bad idea to mandate the narratives and tell people what they're allowed to think or not think. Says a federal judge has temporarily blocked a California law intended to prevent doctors from spreading COVID-19 misinformation, finding that it is unconstitutionally vague. You think? Says a group of five doctors and two nonprofit advocacy groups sued last November after California Governor Gavin Newsom, the guy who many believe will run for president, by the way, signed Assembly Bill 2098 into law the month before. The law states that disseminating misinformation or disinformation related to COVID-19, including information about the risks of the virus, prevention, treatment methods, and vaccines, shall be considered unprofessional conduct for a doctor. The law states that misinformation is defined as false information. And it goes on to talk about the penalties. Folks, that's on the books right now in California. And a court had to get involved and declare it mm, constitutionally vague and enjoin that law from being upheld. However, the fact that California saw fit to get out there and put a law in place that tells doctors what they are allowed to say, think, or do that's outside of the controlled narrative, which, by the way, we just learned that the Biden Department of Energy has come out and said, mm, there's things about COVID that we didn't think were true that we now believe may be true. And yet they're going to tell a doctor, because it's misinformation, they're going to tell a doctor what they're allowed to say to their patients. Really? How about no? How about don't tell me what to think? How about people make mistakes and sometimes there will be an issue? How about people get bad information once in a while and they have to learn to weed through it? How about we're smarter than that? How about we as a society, yeah, there's a bunch of sheep in our society, and I get it. There's also a bunch of sheepdogs, and we don't need to be told what to think. We're allowed to research it and find out because this is a society that prides itself on liberties like the right to freedom of expression, freedom of speech, 
And I'm going to tell you right now, the idea that California has that law is antithetical to good sense. But we do not need to go down the road of trying to control thought. All right, there's my there's my 40-minute rant, boom. How about it? Like I, it? Am I talking out my head? Good. That's what, that's what Charlene would say on a bad day. You're just talking out your head. Oh, baby. But no, I do believe it. Uh, I, I, do, I do think it's absolutely necessary that we be allowed to, um, to screw up, uh, that we be allowed the, the freedom to develop the narrative, that we be allowed the right to question, and that if we don't, then all we've done is become Big Brother. That's all we've done. All we've done is become Orwell's 1984. And uh, does it mean that there will be times that somebody will trip and fall or stumble or have the wrong idea? Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. It's one of the hallmarks of a free society the right to screw up, but also the right to get it right because you weren't told what right was. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We're going to take a break right now. We'll come right back and kick off number two, talking about choosing choice. Bottom of the hour, two, State Senator Larry Stutz calling in to talk about legislation that may or may not come to fruition and bring school choice into reality in Alabama. We'll see. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I, just, I just posted something to uh, my, my Twitter feed, uh, Boomer. Um, I just, I, I couldn't help it. It's a picture. I've seen it before. What's that picture? What it's, is- it's Barack Obama and Joe Biden, and I think they're at a basketball. It's right here on my screen. And they're at a basketball game together. And, and, and they're just l- laughing and yucking it up. And I just wrote on there, caption this. <laughs> oh, have you got any? Did you just put it up? I, I literally okay. just hit. I just hit hit tweet, and it, it it went up, and somebody's already captioned it. As a matter of fact, who oh, that's is funny. It? Um, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, some, a liberal just timed in and said, two guys enjoying a sporting event." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're missing the whole point, dude. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, you want to uh, you want to grab it? It's on my Twitter feed at sin. That's s e n at sin. Phil Williams. Um, yeah, caption this. Uh, they're yucking it up at a basketball game. Maybe they're just buddies. Maybe the artist's enjoying a basketball game. Then again, maybe one saying, and then he said, how do you make the checkout? And I said, write it to the big guy. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, it's on my Twitter if you want to see it, at Sin Phil Williams. By the way, we got – that's uh, okay, that begs the uh, point. Uh, we got so much media going, man. Got so much media. Just going. so you know, Right Side Radio is actually Right Side Media. That's the name of the company. Uh, we got stuff, man. Not the least of which is that Boomer and McQueen have a podcast now that is out. You can pick it up. It comes out with at least uh, an episode, maybe two every week. Yep. Uh, the Right Life podcast, Boom Shakalaka. Is that we're right? having a blast too. I know you are, by the way. It's it's, <laughs> it's so apparent that you are. It's so much fun. Of course, your wife's a hoot too. Oh so. my, yes. 
I mean, that's that's why it's so much fun. I she's mean, a hoot. I never pictured you being like the uh, the straight guy in the comedy routine, but uh, she's she's a hoot. <laughs> she is. <laughs> I just go, I go and listen to it just to listen back to her and laugh. Yeah, it's I, funny. I get it. Um, so yeah, the uh, the podcasting is out there. So we do a ton of stuff. All right. So I've got a I've got an op ed that comes out uh, in multiple uh, newspapers and, and online periodicals throughout the the week. It comes out every Monday. Uh, that one came out again today, by the way. Uh, we've got a uh, podcast of the daily show. So we do the air uh, live three hours a day on air. And then Boomer podcasts it. And we're at like 121,100. Wow. It was 119 or 20 on Friday. <laughs> it was 119 at the start of the show, 120 at the end, and uh, now 121. One. Sweet. I know. It's so 121,100 awesome. downloads that we know of. Uh, you yep. can find our <laughs> podcast uh, at any place where podcasts can be found. So Podbean, Apple, iTunes, all of it, all, all of it, AWL, all of it. Um, you can find the podcast of the show. And our second biggest audience remains California. So, yes. California. We love you, California, out there on the left coast. We love you. Hold the fort, man. We're coming. Um, but uh, but there's, there's that. And then we've also got uh, – you know any number of things on the website, rightsideradio.org. You can watch the live streaming of the show. You can you can contact us. You can see the photo gallery. You can check out recommended reading. Uh, you can uh, you can you know go to the right side store and order a pair of right side socks. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, all that is cool. Hey, I will say this too, by the way. If you want to advertise on Right Side, uh, we'd love to talk to you. So here's the deal. We are a separate standalone business. We're not either one of the radio stations that, or, or, or the, not any of the radio stations that we play on. We are a standalone entity. We sell our own advertising. Uh, you want to contact us, do so through the website. Send us a message. We'll get in touch with you right away. Uh, all of our advertisers are people that we have signed up independently, and that's how we survive as a business, by the way. So if you want to advertise on Right Side Radio, then we would love to talk with you. All right, we're going to go to the next part of the show now. Choosing choice, I call it. Choosing choice. So I'm going to repeat some things you've probably heard on this show before because it's a, it's a big, hairy deal. In Alabama, for the last mm, 13 years, 12 years, for the last 12 years, we have been upfunding education consistently every single year. So... If a member of the teachers union tells you we don't fund education enough, wrong. We actually per capita have one of the uh, best paid, um, uh, you know, educators in, in the some of the best paid educators in the uh, entire southeast. Uh, we um, we have multiple states that fund education at a lower level than we do per capita per child, and yet they rank higher than us. So money's not the issue, y'all. It's not. Money is not the issue. It's what you do with the money that matters. And, and we have too often allowed the old, well, we need to find a way to upfund education to the point that it gets, it, it gets nauseating, to be honest with you. I mean, I'd, be, I'd be down in the Montgomery, and, and, and I would watch somebody go to the podium and, and, and do the old teacher's union hack at the podium in the, in, the, in the well of the Senate. We don't fund education enough. But if you asked them what enough was, they couldn't tell you because they don't know. They don't, have a, they don't have a dollar sign that says, and if we can reach this point, all will be well. There is no such dollar sign. There's not. You can be poor as a church mouse and still be you know, more capable of stewarding what you have than someone who's rich and has no care or concern with what they've got. 
I did a, I did a monologue the other day, and, and, and the, the theme of it was you can sweep your dirt floors. You can sweep your dirt floors. You can do a good job being a steward of what you have. And right now, too often, we in Alabama, with regards to education, we do not steward what we have. We're content to rock along without any opportunity for change or choice. And when I say choice, I'll be honest, I am a, I am a proponent of the idea of full-on let parents have the final say, where do you want your kids to go, choice. There are means you can, you can do this without you know, even disrupting the budget. Now, some are going to say, I don't want to see a voucher system where they get to go to private school. Why not? What are you scared of? Well, it would, it would destroy education. Why? Why? Why would it? How about this? If your concern is the private schools, then what if we took them out of the equation? Would you be content then to allow that kids could have open enrollment in whatever public school they wanted, period? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They have to drive an hour to get there. It's on the parents. The parents sign them up. They got to get them there. Well, I, well I, don't, I don't know if you can do that or not. I mean, that might hurt those schools. They might lose their funding. Yep, they sure might. Why would that be an issue? The only place in the world where you're allowed to fail and they get upfunded the next year is government. It's, it's a sad commentary, but it's true. The only place where you're allowed to truly just have an abysmal record, like no productivity, like, like none, and still get your full budget plus some next year is government. And bear in mind that public education is a part of government. And so they can fail and still get their funding the next year. They can do a horrible job. They can have zero metrics for productivity that, 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 that increase. And they can still get upfunded. They can even, they can even get raises for doing a horrible job. Nowhere in the private sector would that survive long, ever. Well, we're going to talk about it. And right now there's a bill coming. And, and, I, and I've, I've got hopes that it will at the very least spark good debate. I've got real hopes that it would pass. But we're going to talk to the potential bill sponsor, State Senator Larry Stutz, right after this break. You guys stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We will be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Well, hey, listen, we're in number two of the Triple Dipper today. I'm calling it Choosing Choice. 
And that is a choice, by the way. It's a choice to choose choice. You have to, you have to want to go there because I'm going to tell you right now, it's, it's the teachers union has built in this, this, this mantra over the years that how dare you think that there's some other way to do education than what we've always done. And yet the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, in 2013, I was proud to be a part of the very first ever true, you know, broaching of the idea of school choice in Alabama. Um, and somebody who has now been serving uh, down there since 2014, a friend of mine, somebody who I served with the Alabama State Senate, is uh, Alabama State Senator Larry Stutz. Uh, Senator Stutz uh, represents uh, District 6 in northwest Alabama. Uh, he's been in office, like I said, since 2014. In his, in his non-Senate life, um, he's a medical practitioner. He's also a veterinarian, which is kind of cool. Uh, but uh, Larry Stutz, I understand, is considering uh, carrying a major piece of school choice legislation. And I thought, you know, let's get him on the phone. So without further ado, State Senator Larry Stutz, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Phil. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. Hey, appreciate your time. And uh you know, you, you've always been one of the more conservative members of the state Senate, and it looks like you're going to be carrying a bill, I understand, this year for school choice. I am, and I just listened to your uh, introduction, uh, and you're right. It's an issue that's been around for several years. As you know, uh, Senator Marsh had uh, uh, a couple of different bills. Oh, did we lose his signal? Hey, Larry, I think we're, I think we're losing your signal. Can you hear me okay? Well, I, I think we just lost his signal. I know he's at a conference right now, and he's doing the best he could to call in from uh, the conference. But Larry, are you there? Can you hear me? I, I'm, I'm, I can still hear you, Phil. Okay, well, I got you back. We didn't have you at all there for a minute. You just started talking. You said yeah. Senator Marsh, and then we lost you all together. So hit it, hit it again. Okay, I said, as you know, from when you were in the Senate, this is an issue that's been around for several years, and uh, Senator Marsh, uh, has had a couple of different bills, and this was a priority of his. Uh, uh, I said I've worked with him for the last couple of years on trying to formulate a bill, and uh, said we have a really, really good bill this year that uh, I think is exactly what we need to pass. Well, I agree, and what little I know of it, I, I completely agree, and we'll get into the details here in a moment, but let me ask you this. What's the mood in the caucus, in the Senate, and in the House to pass something like this, because what's been so aggravating is the last few years, even Del Marsh, who used to be the pro tem of the Senate, couldn't get his own bill out of House committee. Can we get it moved? Uh, I, I, I think so. I, you know, there are several other states that have uh, passed legislation in the, in the last couple of years, and I think the mood across the country, you know, the uh, governor's race in Virginia was decided really over a school choice issue. Yeah. And, uh, 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 West Virginia has passed a bill similar to this. Uh, Arizona has passed a bill in the last year. Uh, Iowa has just recently passed a bill. So, you know, we, we're not one of the very first states to do it now. And even though we, when we were first talking about it, we would have been. But now other states have, have done it. And I think the mood in our state is uh, in favor of doing it. There are just so many reasons, uh, fundamental reasons, why it should be done. Well, and I, and I and I agree. I mean, the, right now, it, so you and I talking. I mean, this thing polls super high among, especially among Republican voters, but it's really bipartisan. It polls super high to allow the parents to have a say in where their child goes to school. The problem has been in the legislative process, trying to get something passed. You know, the old school. 
you know, you don't fund it enough, give it more money. We can. So what what's changed this year? Is a change of leadership helping? Well, uh, I, I don't think it's that. I think we've had leadership that supported it before. I think the one thing that's going to make a difference is the polling number that you mentioned. It is a bipartisan issue. And, uh, uh, it, you know, uh, people that don't have choices now uh, should be so fundamentally for this. It's a great opportunity for their children. And uh, it, to me, it is just a fundamental right that parents should be determining this. And as we see some of the things that are being taught in schools, uh, I think more parents are paying attention to that. And uh, when you look at where Alabama has historically ranked in education, and, you know, our national ranking has improved some this year, but it's not because we got better. It's because through the COVID pandemic, other states got uh, worse than we did. And so we we didn't really move up the scale. We stayed about where we were, and some other states fell behind us because they had more uh, egregious COVID restrictions maybe than Alabama did and less students in school. But, uh, uh, you know, for so for all families, I mean, and that's one of the great things about uh, the, the bill is it's universal. It is... Uh, uh, parents direct the education of their children via either public or non-public education, and all children can apply for it. And the the other great thing about this bill is that anybody can opt out, and I don't expect there to be a mass exodus from public schools. Uh, there may be an exodus from schools from some schools that aren't doing well, but when you look at polling, most people are satisfied with the school that their children are going to. And so I don't expect a mass exodus. And any school can opt out. If a school says, we don't want to participate in this, then they don't have to participate. If a family doesn't want to participate in it and leave everything status quo, that's perfectly fine. It's purely about freedom and purely about the option of parents making that decision for their own children. I, th- I think I think that's the huge philosophical underpinning for this is parents having the the first say. Um, but let me ask you this: in terms of the actual meat and potatoes of the bill, uh, Senator, so what will it do? How, how does this is, is an education savings account basically gets money set aside if you want it? How much money are we talking about, and how would you apply it? Uh, I, I can't give you an exact amount, but it is going to be in the six thousand to sixty five hundred dollar range. Uh, those calculations are not exactly finalized. You know, the the uh, fiscal analysis of bills uh, often takes a little while and to get the exact numbers down. But it's going to be in the vicinity of $6,000 to $6,500 per child. And that is the state portion of the of the education dollars. If, if uh, a child we'll say leaves a public school to go to a private school, only the state portion of the tax dollars goes with the child. Any local money or any federal money still stays with that school. So even though the child might not be enrolled there, only the state portion of the money follows the child. The other thing that, and it would be established in a education savings account that would be managed by uh, the Department of Revenue. The other thing that is unique about this bill that was different than the bill 
that uh, Senator Marsh had, even the one we had last year that he and I had worked on together. The other thing that is uh, unique about this bill is that uh, there's an incentive to save in the bill. So if you don't spend all the money in your education savings account, uh, it stays in the savings account and can roll over from year to year. Wow. And after you're graduated from high school, uh, no more money is added to the account. But we'll say, for instance, that uh, you were a homeschooler and you had put $6,000 into the account each year and you didn't spend that much. Well, by the time you were in 12th grade, you get to use that money for approved educational purposes until you're 21 years old. Wow. So, you and... Yeah, Larry, I think we're losing your signal again. With them until they're 21. Uh, I said, and it stays with you until they're 21. Okay. Okay. Wow, that is... That I've I have never uh, heard anybody use that. that I, I did, yeah, it, it, it came through uh, there, but I, I I did not, I had not caught that part of the bill, and I've never seen anything like that. So you technically have the ability to use it for post high school uh, education, right? For trade school, for college expenses, for approved educational expenses. So number one, that uh, part of the bill incentivizes you to. Use your money wisely because you get to roll it over from one year to the next and keep it to use for educational purposes until you're 21. But it also encourages you to further your education uh, when when you finish high school if you still have resources available. And uh, the other thing that is I think is vitally important about this bill uh, is is the impact we've looked at trying to be a, a military friendly state right and the most friendly military state and as you know i think it's an issue in huntsville and i know it's an issue in montgomery that if you live on base uh the schools that you're zoned to may not be a, a satisfactory school for your children and this would be a tremendous resource for uh for some lower-paid military people to have that option for their children. Yeah. Wow. Well, I just so I mean, it, it is, there's so many things that make sense about this bill. So let me ask you this, uh, uh, Senator. In the in the about a minute and a half we got left, do you have interest within your caucus, and do you feel like you're going to have co-sponsors of the bill? And then what have you heard uh, about the House? Uh, uh, absolutely. And, and uh, Ernie Yarborough is carrying the bill in the Good. House. All right. So he would he would be great. For you to have on to talk about the prospects in the House, but I have talked to numerous senators about it. Talked obviously to the Senate leadership. Uh, the uh, governor's office is aware of it. The lieutenant governor's office is aware of it, and they have uh, uh, early on in the draft of the bill, we've worked with the lieutenant governor's office to make a couple of changes in the bill that they suggested. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's going to be widespread support. And uh, I said, I fully expect to pass it out of the Senate this year. Well, I think that would be amazing. And, uh, and Senator, if you do it, we're going to we're going to be we're going to be championing your cause the entire way. So I want to I want to stay I want to stay in tune with this. And if there's something you need to come on to clarify for the audience, because I see this as being one of the biggest issues uh, of the year. Uh, especially in the wake of COVID, now that all the parents have had a chance to wake up and see what's going on with their children's education, 
and and you're looking at other states like Arkansas uh, passing legislation uh, just this week. Um, so all said and done, uh, uh, Larry, I appreciate your work on this, and and we hope to be there with you. Uh, uh, you know, shouting for more. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to share it with your audience, and said I would encourage them to contact their House and Senate members. And uh, the name of the bill is the Price Act. Stands for Parental Rights in Children's Education. Outstanding. And uh, and uh, uh, and everyone that's that's uh, supporting it, ask them to contact your senator and your House member and ask them to support the Price Act. Outstanding. All right. Well, hey, State Senator Larry Stutz, I appreciate you as always, and it's good to hear your voice. And uh, you take care. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Oh, okay. Thank you so much, Phil. All right. Take care. All right, just move us to a break, Boomer. I can tell you right now, that's a good dude. You know, we served together. I considered him a friend, um, but he's just a good dude, and uh, you can hear it in his voice. But I'm hoping that he is right. I'm hoping that we have, you know, the chutzpah right now in the House and Senate leadership. I mean, we got the majority. There's no reason why this can't work. Choosing choice. Y'all stay tuned. We'll talk about it more when I get back. Back, Phil Williams, right side radio, solid and conservative and just plain right. So um, I got some uh, some response on the text line. James from Harvest says, that's the best school choice bill I've ever heard of. That's awesome that it stays with the kid till they're 21 so they could possibly go to any university they wanted to. Wow, 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 he says. Jenny from Decatur said, did he say Price Act? And yes, he did say Price. It's, it's an acronym for Parents' Rights in Children's Education Act, the Price Act. So uh, P-R-I-C-E, tell your, uh, tell your state legislators, state senators, and House members that you are advoca- advocating for the Price Act and that you want to see it passed. You're, okay, so you're the uh, – so we're empty nesters, boom shakalaka. Uh, the lovely Charlene and I, we got to see our kids come up into the world, and now we're grandparents. But – but we guys, are not. You're not. <laughs> you're still. You're still doing the thing. Oh, the school thing. Yep, still doing the school thing. Got one in school, and then the other one just baby. Yeah, just 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 a baby that's going to rule the world one day. We've yeah. already figured that out. <laughs> that is right. <laughs> it's just her world, and we all get to live in it. That's what. Uh, it is. Yes, sir. Uh, so. Uh, your thoughts on what you just heard? Well, before I moved here to Alabama, I actually had never heard of school choice. And when we when I first started working on the show, I think I heard um, the words school choice one time sometime in the summer when you were talking to Stephanie Smith. Yeah, yeah. And it, I know it's been a reoccurring thing, and then other states have had it. But, man, when I heard about it, I started doing some digging because I think that is phenomenal. I don't understand how yeah, I don't understand how anybody would not want yeah. this legislation to pass. Well, they don't because either A, they want the status quo or B, they believe philosophically that the money is for the system, not for the child. That's what it boils down to. Well, yeah, if if they think it's for the system and not the child, wow, thanks thanks a lot. Thanks for allowing our kids to go into your system. 
I mean, I mean, you're not you're you're not pouring any anything into the next generation at all. Then, so in this bill right here, if it passed, it would be saying that you and the lovely McQueen would have upwards of six thousand dollars a year to send your child to the educational opportunity you believe is best for them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is incredible. There's no child that's the same. I mean, you know this from your your couple of children. They're not the same. Are they? Right. I mean, so for a family to be able to take their child out of one school and maybe put them into another school that is going to better benefit them. Yeah. And then maybe their other child keeping keeping the other school because it's going to better benefit that child. We we did that. I mean, When when our son was young, he went uh, K through four or five, I believe, at one school, but then... He quickly began. He he began to see the school where we had his sister enrolled, mm-hmm. uh, the same one where your kids are now. Right. And um and and basically he wanted to come over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Which is absolutely fine as well. Yeah. Uh, but then what he was talking about at the very end really got my attention. Where the money goes into the, um, like the savings yeah. account. Yeah. And then if you don't use it, being able to use it for college or trade school or something like that it, to encourage the kids to go into college and then helping the parents out as well for college. I mean, look at this. Yes, wow. there's so many things. I, I had never heard, I've never heard any bill do that. That's To me, that's one of the most interesting pieces I've ever heard added to a school choice bill. Um, and I, I bet there's going to be some caveats, like it has to be a state-funded or, uh, you know, school or something. Right. Who knows? We'll see. But... Um, I still love the carryover idea. And here's the thing, too. That carryover, let's say that it's, um, let's say that tuition goes up at a private school where you want to send your kids. Mm-hmm. You've had 6000 a year, and let's say it roughly stays 6000 a year for the first five years, but your tuition goes up to 6500 whereas it was 5500 If you've got a carryover, it might make up the difference, you know? Yeah. Or... You, you may see something that you wanted them to do that you couldn't have done, and maybe they decide to dual enroll and get some extra credit at the junior college while also in high school, which we can do in Alabama because that was my bill. I passed that. Yep. Um, but that, that dual enrollment is now paid for because mm-hmm. you've, got, you've got a carryover balance. It's not just like a spend it or, or, or you know, use it or lose it is what the government says so often. Right. I love the idea it's not a use it or lose it on this. Uh, I mean, that's, that's incredible. That, this that's could incredible. Be a, this could be a game changer. This could, y'all, this could be a game changer. I mean, we're sitting here, I, having raised my kids and, and made ends meet, um, you know, in, in, in education for years for our kids, and then, you know, Boomer's doing it now. I can just tell you, it's a game changer. Yes. And you guys actually moved here in part because of education. We did. Uh, we, that, was a very, that was a very big choice for us when we were trying to thinking of moving, coming to Alabama was for school. Yeah, yeah. So the bottom line is you guys made a choice for your kids. Exactly. What if we could make more choices for them? Would that be something? Man, that would be incredible. All right, more on this when we get back. I'm going to tell you what other states are doing and what I think the strategy might be going forward for Alabama. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back.
right side ruffians out there. You are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk radio leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams, live in the Right Side studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national covering down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. But we just had somebody on the text line that takes issue with the fact that I say very, very frequently, solid, conservative, and just pl- Do they not understand <laughs> what a motto is? <laughs> it's, it's like, really? yeah, I mean, like, you say that far too often. Do I really? Okay. That's well, it's what we do. All right. So just go ahead and brace yourself. I'll probably say it more before the show's over. Uh lots of stuff on the text line. So one guy or or I don't know, guy, gal, I don't I don't know. Uh chick or a dude uh, did not identify themselves. So if you want to text in, by the way, you gotta tell us who you are, where you're from, um, so that we can put you in the system. But we have somebody here who has sent me a big old long text about how that's just a social program. It's a government handout. It moves us closer to socialism. Yeah, whatever. All right. So here, we, how, about, how, about it, how about it's just the opposite? Socialism would be go where the government tells you. Just do what the government says. That's, that's, that's socialism. Um, I'm, maybe. Maybe they're, <laughs> maybe they're a teacher's union member. Could be. Ooh, yeah. uh, Steve from Tennessee, he just texted in and said, The Price Act. So glad to finally hear an original school choice idea from Alabama. Love it. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate you. Uh, Michelle from Huntsville. Uh, I think I've got three texts in a row from her. So she says, Price Act must include actual consequences for teachers pushing CRT, trans agendas, et cetera. That's going to be a separate bill, uh, Michelle. It's going to be a, a totally separate thing. Um, we can we can have bills that ban those things and still not have the Price Act that allows parents to make a change. So this is a choice bill. Um, and then she said, I, I can't keep up. So I got several texts in a row from her. And then she says, there's not enough room in private schools. Call them and ask. Limited availability. And, and I get it. Most of them may be full. Here's what's going to wind up happening. I guarantee you. If a, if, a, if a private school environment exists where more people want to be there, they will add capacity. They just will. They will. It's, it's a free market. Absolutely. Um, if they're able to do it, they'll, they'll do it. That's right. They'll, if, they have, if they have X number of people who they had to turn away the year before, they'll hire more teachers to get them in. But guess what else will happen? What, what, what? Well, if all these kids are trying to go to these private schools or just going to other schools, that's going to make that one school everybody's leaving want to do better. That's exactly right. The, the free market also drives you to improve or die. So that's, that's what's going to wind up happening. That The free market in business means build a better mousetrap, and then everybody who also builds mousetraps is to either build a better one themselves or go out of business. Same is true with schools. If you cannot sustain your operations because no one wants to be there anymore, maybe the problem is you. Maybe the problem is the school. Uh, DT from Elkmont says, did I hear that schools have the right to opt out of the law? What does that mean? Okay, great question. Boomer and I were talking about that oh, off yeah. the air. Yeah, yeah oh, that's it. You, you asked the same question a moment ago, right? The we same question, like, can like uh, private schools opt out because there's something in the bill that doesn't 
yeah. mesh with their yeah. Like know, so, here's here's one of the controversial pieces of this. Okay. Um, in 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 the current arguments against this act, the state superintendent Ed Mackey, um, he says, well, you know, sure, parents can have a choice, but if that's the case, we need to make sure they're they're using state-run testing procedures and state-run tests. Okay. What if what if they get written into the bill that a private school has to do state testing? What if that state testing in some way conflicts with the educational values or the educational curriculum or the uh, the manner in which that s- private school wants to run its operations? Mm. Okay, then then yes. What you're looking at there is dollar signs with strings attached. Okay. Right. And okay. What, what if they come back and say the state-run testing has to include these tests and these tests also include questions about LGBTQ? Um, no. Right. Our private yeah. Christian school does not want that. <laughs> So therefore, we don't want to participate. So what we're saying here is if the bill includes things that would otherwise be objectionable, then a, a private school or whatever can can agree to opt out and say, yeah, as much as we'd like to, we will not attach ourselves to those government dollars and sacrifice our values in the process or whatever so so they can opt out. That's that's that. That, make, that makes sense. What if like someone took their child to that private school that opts out that opts out. That opts out. So that money is now just lingering. Do you, would that stay with the, the school where they're yeah. apparently supposed to be going? Just like it does right now. Okay. So like right now, uh, if you go to a private school in Alabama, um, the the tax dollars tend to stay where your zip code said they would have stayed because there's no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no education savings account to take with you now. Mm-hmm. So the tax dollars to stay within the system. And the system benefits from you not being there, basically. Right. Because they're getting money for not having a kid. As it's doing right now exactly. for some people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, now I, I, I say that. Someone's going to come at me and, and say, oh, Phil, you're forgetting. They actually factor. They have to look at the number of students enrolled. Yes, that's true. That's, that is true. But let me just say this. If there's not money being carried away, then the money is staying within the education trust fund, period. Hmm. All right. There you go. Mal. Um, Text lines are still going. Yes, Jay from Hartzell. Jay from Hartzell says, if it was a socialist program, it wouldn't be so hard to get past. <laughs> Point. Um, uh, John from Huntsville says, uh, it says, Phil, you don't say solid conservative, just plain right enough times. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, much. I say it in my sleep, I think. I know you do. I, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> I do. I'm pretty sure I shout it in my sleep. Uh, uh, by the way, we had somebody that takes issue with Senator Stutz. Believes he is a Marxist. That is Scott from Huntsville. Okay, Scott, you're wrong, but okay. Thank you for texting in and participating in our program. And then uh, the person who still won't identify themselves texts it again, which I'm not going to read your text because you won't tell us who you are. So how about this? <laughs> tell us who you are. If you want to join the text line, it's open, 833-687-4448. You can also call that same number. So, yeah, if you do for the very first time, Text the word right side. You'll get an automatic message back that says something to the effect of, hey, welcome, right side ruffian. Glad to have you. Tell us your first name and where you're from. We'll plug you in, uh, just like Scott from Huntsville just did. Thank you, Scott. And Dustin from Hazelgreen says, being able to keep the money in an account to use for college is a massive selling point for me. I'm all in. He says, Phil, I have three daughters, so this will be a huge benefit to us. I mean, I think that would be a game changer, bro. It really would I mean, for so many people. Yeah, and, and and it would, it would be the kind of thing that 
you know, I know you're not going to be able to cash it out. It's not like a life insurance policy where you get to cash it out. No, I mean, they're going to put restrictions on that to where they can't just grab the money. Like they said, a savings account, and it would go directly to the school. It would be safe to it, do that. It's basically like me as an attorney, I have what's called an escrow account. Mm-hmm. That means I am asked to hold funds, and I have to hold them for a purpose, and I can't let them go for non-purpose. Um so real estate transactions, whatever right. else, the money comes in and it gets held in escrow until the time it's supposed to be used or spent or distributed. Um, that's that. Yeah. Um, so just so as you know, just so as you know, Wall Street Journal has a piece that came out yesterday. Headline, school choice victories and a loss. So there have been some major victories. What's interesting is there's been more victories than losses. This used to be just the opposite. So first of all, brand spanking new Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Little Rock, Arkansas, is following through on her promise. She just got her major state reforms uh, for uh, education, doing a very similar bill, Education Savings Account, just got it out of the state Senate on a 25 to 7 vote. That's a good majority. That, uh, that seems to indicate she's going to have strength when she gets to the House. Uh, so I'm hopeful to see Arkansas passing something big here very soon. And by the way, her bill is very, very similar. Her bill provides $6,500 per student, which is 90% of the core amount of the state funds. Um, And eligibility will be limited for the first couple of years, but by the year 2025, 26, any student in the state could apply. So they're going to phase it in. I believe Alabama's bill has a phase-in process also. Oklahoma, uh, they just passed a major school choice bill, sailed through their house by a vote of 75 to 25. It does a $5,000 credit that they can use for education uh, expenses in private school or even even tuition and uh, homeschooling. Um, a little bit less for homeschool, but nonetheless, Oklahoma and Little Rock are tracking hard right now on school choice for this year. Wyoming just shocked everybody. So the Wyoming Speaker of the House killed the bill himself, and that to me is wrong. Now, I, I know he has leadership opportunity, but he did something in Alabama. We call it leaving it in the basket. That's where the, uh, the speaker refuses, or the, excuse me, the pro tem of the state Senate refuses to get a bill out of the basket, which was transmitted from the House. In this case, they called it in Wyoming, the Republican speaker left it in the drawer. So he left it in the drawer, refused to give it a final vote. Their bill died in, uh, in the uh, House process. More to come on that one. All right, we'll come right back. We'll deal with a little more of this. This is choosing choice. Folks, I'm telling you, this price act, this price act could be a big, big, hairy deal. We'll talk about it more when we get back, wrapping up this section of the Triple Dipper. And then heading on down to the bottom of the hour, we'll talk about, I don't know, leadership. How about leadership? Governors. What can governors actually do? We'll talk about that with what right looks like. Y'all stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. How do you like that? We are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. 
Uh, wrapping up this section here on the uh, the triple dipper of choosing choice. So this bill we're talking about, keep in mind, you can call your state legislator at any given time. And in fact, I know that um, I think it's 1819 News, uh, 1819news.com. I'm pretty sure they've got a how to contact your legislator on the uh, on their website. But then there's also the ability to do so just by going to the, uh, the I think the Secretary of State's website actually has a find your legislator option. So if you don't know how to contact them, though, send us a text here at the text line, 833-687-4448, and, uh, and we'll tell you what we know about how to reach them. But I would encourage you, if you believe this is a good idea, it does not have to be for your kids. Like, okay, e- even if Boomer and, and, and the lovely McQueen didn't have uh, these, these two beautiful kids right now, they could still care about this, right? Oh, absolutely. I know. Even though Charlene and I, our kids are out of school, we could still care about this. It, to me, it's a statesman's issue. It's, it's the kind of thing you want best for your state, mm-hmm. um, not just because it's your kids. All right, so here's the deal. The Price Act is called the Parental Rights in Children's Education Act, soon to be filed. It has not been pre-filed yet. They're still working on some pieces of it. It's got a three-year phase-in eligibility. So initially, it would be limited to kindergarten and grades 3, 6, 9, and 12 and it's because there's a, there's a phase-in. But then what happens is if you fall under a certain income cap, you can apply in the first two years no matter what. Beginning in the fourth year of the bill, all children are now eligible. So what it's doing is it's not, it's not hitting all of the education arena at one time. It's allowing there to be a phase-in at certain levels. And then it's also allowing this to be something that could carry over. That, that to, me is the, to me, that's the most alluring part of the whole thing. Well, I'll take it back. Giving parents a say is the right thing to do, period. But I love the fact that it might actually have the opportunity for any balance left over at the end of grade 12 to carry over to something, you know, post, uh, post uh, high school. Ten states right now. According to this article from AL.com. Good article by Mike Kaysen, by the way, at AL.com. I don't always like their reporting, but this one, Mike Case is a good reporter, period. He does a great job with this one. So it came out yesterday. Headline is, Bill would provide Alabama parents $6,000 in state funds for private school. That's the headline. He says 10 states already have ESA programs, according to EdChoice, which is an organization that, that does this on a national level. 10 states. Alabama legislature did consider a bill like it last year, but the bill stalled. Yes, it did. And this year, we're hoping to see the bill move forward. Now, right up front, I'll tell you, the education, the educrats, the educrats, they do not want this to happen. So State Superintendent Eric Mackey said he's not seen the bill. I guarantee you he's seen the bill. Said he's not seen the bill, but said a position he took on last year's legislation has not changed. He says if non-public schools are to receive tax money, those schools should be required to participate in the testing programs. Uh, that's the same thing being said about by the Association of School Boards. Uh, hey, uh, you know, okay, sure, as long as you're doing testing using our tests, no. How about no? How about double no? No, 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 no. He goes on and says he thinks that the state could also even pay to administer the tests in the private schools. No. How about just no? So the Price Act, though, says the state would not require any testing. This is going to be the arguing point, by the way. This is going to be how they try to kill the bill without really saying that they're trying to kill the bill. Well, it should have testing. Really? Yeah, I mean, that's not only fair, right? 
Never mind they might be a fully accredited school. Never mind they might have a higher graduation rate than your public school. Never mind that they might have kids coming out with scholarships that you don't see in the other local high schools. So how about this? No. Bottom line is um, there is some discussion, too, among Republicans. Uh, State Representative Terry Collins, who uh, chairs the, uh, the House Education Policy Committee, if this bill goes through the House, which it should, it'll come through her committee. She's suggesting that, you know, maybe there's a, a way we could do this where we just, like, cap the income levels of people who apply for it. So, you know, only if you make a certain level of funding can you get this money. Why would you do that, Terry? That makes no sense. That's discriminatory on its face. You have to be poor to be allowed to have a, a, an option to be a parent. Collins also suggested limiting ESAs to just maybe certain categories of students like special needs or military families or, or homeless. No. Why would you do that? All she's trying to do is split the baby here. She's trying not to offend the teachers union. I'm saying no. Don't do that. You got to make it open and available to all. Um, is it Brian on the line right now? Let me grab that real quick. Line one before I run out of time. Brian from Huntsville, how you doing, buddy? I'm mighty fine and lightning fast as far as the educrats go. And uh, people change from one school to the other. That means that some of the teachers will have to change their ways, like you folks were talking about. But they not just change that. They have to change their ways. They can't be petitioning to, oh, no, I want to teach from home because it's through Zoom, I want everything to be how it was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and also um, critical critical race theory, that type of thing. If people swap schools, the teachers have to as well, and they will be under different management than they are now as well. It's a great point. It's a great point. It's a part of that whole free market thing. It drives the train, man. Uh, Brian, thanks for the call, buddy. Appreciate you. Hey, as we wrap this section up, I'll just tell you, AL Daily News. Alabama Daily News ran a poll, and the poll shows that overwhelmingly Republican voters, and by the way, we are a decidedly Republican majority, supermajority state in the state legislature. Republican primary voters say they overwhelmingly support the expansion of school choice. Republican primary voters also say only 14% of them say that education in Alabama seems to be getting better. Only 14%. 43% say that the public schools are headed in the right direction. Huh. <laughs> so basically, what you have here is if you're a politician, if you're going to put your finger in the air and test the winds on whether or not to do this, understand, those who vote for you want this. It's a political winner. It is a campaign issue. It is a fundamental get her done Bill Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back.
all you right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right. Well, let me just tell you, ZLA Solutions has been with this show since the day it went on the air. ZLA Solutions is, is a longtime sponsor, and they are having, by the way, it's one of the best years they've ever had in terms of putting people and jobs together. They're, they're just epic good at it. So, yeah, they do a lot of things for businesses, ZLA Solutions. They can help you with your sorting and containment, your quality control, your logistics, your warehousing, all those things. But their bread and butter still remains staffing. Whether it be temporary or direct hire, they can help you with finding the people to fit the ranks of your workforce. doesn't matter if it's onesies and twosies or if it's going to be an entire shift of people. Special niche skills or, or no skills needed at all. Blue collar, white collar, no collar, doesn't matter. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing, all that. ZLA Solutions, they like to say at ZLA, we don't make it, we make it better. That's their goal in life, man. Help you make your business better. And they're good at doing just that. So check them out. Their website, ZLAUSA.com. That's ZLAUSA.com for ZLA Solutions. And these are friends of mine. Tell them you heard about it here on the radio show, Right Side Radio. Thank you. All right. Um, let me, uh, let me, Boomer, my text line has gone bananas, man. Oh man. It's, it can't keep up again. Well, I, I know. <laughs> So uh, let me look at a few of these before I jump into my next. Will I even get to the dipper, the third dipper? I don't know that I will. Not will, sure. I just say, not sure. School choice appears to have caught in the imagination. Cotton? Did I say cotton? It's cotton. cotton. It's, it's cotton. It has caught cotton. the imagination of the listenership of Right Side Radio. So Paul from Coleman says, uh, in Florida, the last two weeks, a Christian school, very similar to the ones around here, ran into trouble by asking an LGBTQ step parent to leave. That's when the gay lobby started yelling the school was funded by state reimbursed tuition and that it had to allow it. The, the bottom line is this, um, Paul, I, I get it. Uh, that's going to wind up being a thing uh, no matter what. They're going to scream no matter what we do. They're going to scream because we didn't have state funds in, in the Christian school or they're going to scream because we do have state funds. Um, the truth be told, they still have a fundamental right to freedom of religion. And if they're pre-approved, then it's just, they're going to have to... They're going to have to have a state law that can stand up under constitutional scrutiny that would that would allow this LGBTQ activism to take place, and I don't think they will. But with you know, more to come. But I don't think I don't think that the one parent you know shouting is the reason to stop all kids from having school choice. Uh, Boyd from Joppa says the bill still gives some funding to the school even when the parent chooses a better option for their child. The AEA should be happy that they can get their grubby fingers on the money while not having to deal with the child or the parent. That's a great point. I said that multiple times, too, about the current piece of legislation we have called the Accountability Act, the one that allows you to transfer your child out of a failing school. It allows for a scholarship. Well, a portion of the funds stay back anyway. And I'm trying to remember the, the, the factor, but it may be 20%. I'm just going from memory. Yeah, I think it's 2013 we passed that bill. So I think it's 20% of the funds stay with the failing school and the rest transfers with the child in the form of a scholarship potential or a reimbursable tax credit. So, yes, it's a great point, uh, uh, Boyd from Joppa. It's a great point that, that, that we, we, we literally have the option for a school that's not even taking care of that child anymore to still keep part of the money 
even though the parents got the better say by taking what money they could with them to the other place. Great point. Great point. I got an amazing audience. Uh, Shima from Madison uh, just texted in, and she had a big old long text that, like, I guess Shima would have to have a book reading session to read this one. Um, she's, uh, okay, I, I can't tell what all she's saying. Apparently she doesn't like, okay, she's, okay, she, I, I know who Shima is, so I know she's on our side. But um, Shima, uh, brevity, girl, brevity. So send me a text next time that's about three sentences long, and that might be very helpful, and I can actually read it. But Shima from Madison is now in our system, uh, and she's been on the show before. She's sharp. So Shima, shorter texts. Like that one you sent me is, I want to say, copied and pasted out of the third chapter of War and Peace. Uh, Jason from Meridianville, uh, brand new on the text line. Glad you're listening, buddy. Appreciate you. Uh, Brad from Limestone County. Um, another super long text. What is with the people the super long text today? <laughs> so he says, if I can read parts of it, Price Act is not a liberty act. You're still taking money from other citizens and giving it to people with school age kids. No, you're not. That No, Brad, you got it wrong. If you're, you're, you're paying into the system. Everybody pays into the system something. Sales taxes, when you buy a loaf of bread, goes to fund education. It's just the way our system is set up. But the people with kids, they're paying taxes. So they have a right to the use of their tax dollars. If you don't have kids, you're still paying taxes. It's part of what you're doing to build your state through the tax base. So it's not a, it's not a liberty question at all. There is a tax. <laughs> Shima just sent me an LOL. Thank you. <laughs> Love you, Shima. Just send me a shorter text next time. Um, so Brad from Limestone County, I'm only reading a portion of the super long text you sent me, but this is not socialism. This is the actual use of existing tax dollars for things that are actually anti-socialist. Socialists would say, nobody has a choice. Do what the government tells you. Here's where you'll go, no matter how bad it is. That's socialism. Uh, Marcus from Huntsville. How about when the public school system in Alabama hits the top 5% instead of the lowest 5%? Can we start to care more about what the state thinks about our children should be tested in private school? Marcus from Huntsville. Marcus, I anticipate that you're anti-school choice in general. Um, if we get to the highest 5%, we won't have to have this conversation anymore, will we? But we're not. So Marcus, you can just keep it where it sits if you want to, but you'll still be wrong because doing the same thing over and over again still is that definition of insanity. Um, Paul from Coleman, I'm going back to him. Oh, my text screen just went out. Boomer, is yours down? This is too much fun. I can't lose my text now. Okay. <laughs> Dead gummit. I'm going to say Shima broke my texter. <laughs> That's back. All right. Paul from Coleman chimed back in. He goes, about school choice, my kids, two of them go to private school. He costs roughly 7000 I don't know. Okay. Your voice texting me, Paul, I think. He says he costs roughly 7000 apiece for them to go, and right now the school has full classrooms. Okay. Uh, I guess you're saying this would be helpful to you. Um, <laughs> Shima did apologize. She goes, I'm sorry, I cut and pasted my notes. I think she's telling me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. These text strings go on and on and on, boom. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to finish it up. Let me just say this. If you're having that water cooler conversation tomorrow, like, for instance, I just had you know somebody a moment ago that texted in and, and, and took issue with the idea of testing. Um, I think that was Marcus from Huntsville. Here's the thing. If Marcus and, from Huntsville and I were having a water cooler conversation at the office tomorrow, 
I would have to back up and say, wait, 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 here's the bottom line. First of all, what do you believe? Do you believe that tax dollars are there to fund the system or that tax dollars for education are there to educate the child? The philosophical underpinnings of the entire discussion has to start with that. If you believe that the system is more important because we got to feed the system. We got to support all these buildings. We got to buy more school buses. We got to give teachers a raise. We've got to do this. We got to fund the, the education retirement system. We've got to, if you believe that we are looking at tax dollars that are slated for education by our constitution, if you believe that they are more important to be funding the system over the right to the parent to educate the child, then you automatically are at odds with the idea of school choice. At the same time, you have to ask yourself, when it comes to the education of a child, here's the other philosophical question. When it comes to the philosophical underpinnings of school choice, who is better to make a decision in the best interest of the child? The system? or the parent or legal guardian of that child. Well, Phil, what if they have a bad home environment? No, 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 no. Don't go chasing rabbits. Stay with the topic at hand. In general, the premise is this. Do you or don't you believe that the parent is the best one to have a say for the child? If you don't believe that, then you don't believe in school choice. Do you or don't you next believe that education tax dollars, which already exist by law, by constitution, do you believe that they are best to fund the system or they are best to educate the child? If you believe in educating the child first and foremost, then you are more likely to believe in school choice. It's just it, how you answer those two philosophical questions will drive every bit of the discussion thereafter. And if you, if you can't get past those, if you, if you can't answer those two truthfully, then the rest of it about, well, testing and well, this, that, and the other, that's all red herrings. That is absolutely a red herring. Well, it's about equity and testing. No, it's not. What do you believe is best for the child? A parent say or a system say? What do you believe is best for the tax dollars? Feeding the system or f educating the child? Those two questions drive everything. Everything. Period. Hey, Boomer, I see I got a caller on the line. Before I go any further, let me grab that real quick. Is that Lee? Lee from Huntsville. How are you doing today? I'm great. Enjoying your show. Good. Thank you. <clears throat> with, a, with two retired teacher parents, sister who's a teacher here, brother-in-law teacher, Madison, uh, I do hear a lot about this. Um, but I, what I will tell you is I believe 100% is school choice okay. up front, as does uh, – uh, as, as does my sister, but what, she would not admit that to anyone, but she does. <laughs> um, and she also doesn't believe in tenure. She believes if you're a great teacher, you're a great teacher. Yeah. Um, and she believes, you know, in, in the worth of great teachers because she's seen some that fail up, you yeah. know, in, yeah. in the system. The problem with Huntsville's system is twofold, and the problem with this, this suggestion is twofold. If you think about it, if the federal dollars are going to follow the students, <clears throat> and so federal dollars follow students if they stay in, the, say, Huntsville City Schools. Federal dollars follow the student if they go to a private school. 
how can you hold the teachers responsible in the public school for test scores and testing, but not hold responsible teachers in private schools for test scores and testing? This federal money is going to have expectations with it, whatever that is. Well, um, and that's true. And, and, so, and the bill, the bill does though deal only with state funding. All right. So the, so the, it's only the, it's only a portion okay. of the state funding that would travel with the child. Okay. Well, either way, look at the state funding, federal funding, however you look at it. Um, state funding. So how can you have expectations from the state, which they do for every teacher, uh, for public schools only and not private, not, not private or homeschool or however you manage to educate your child. Yeah. Here's, here's so, the problem with that though, Lee, right now, if, if they care that deeply, then why aren't they pushing for it now? We have accredited private schools right now that don't have to go through state testing and they're still allowed to function. So is it abuse of the child to allow these schools to perpetrate education without state testing? Is it, is, is it got to be attached to dollars? I think it's. I think I. I truly think it's just a red herring. It's. A, it's a poison pill argument. Is what they're I, trying to do. I, well, I, yeah, I don't disagree, but I'm saying that is going to be what they put for. That is going to be the argument um, because you cannot. And I think it's hard to to, to derail that argument because you're talking about um, holding some teachers accountable but others not um, for the same child followed by the same dollars. So I don't know. Um, I'm just saying this is what they're this is what they're going to say, oh, yeah. and also with the DSEG order in the city of Huntsville, and how it has um, derailed or put a stick in the spokes of this this school system, it's just made it into an inner city school system so much faster. Even once we started fighting the DSEG order, which is crazy, I actually thought it was going to be a good thing, and it turned out to be just kicking a hornet's nest. But um, you're talking about schools like say. Um, when you start pulling kids out of, I don't know, just throw a school out there, say Grissom High School, you pull kids out of Grissom High School because you want to put them in private school because you've got just enough money that you can take it, take that money and possibly add to it some and send them to private school. You do that um, and quickly enough, even faster, because they're already kind of doing that, um, what do you call it, when they're going around the rim and getting ready to go down and go faster and faster and faster where you go down the drain? It's just going to speed that up. Yeah, so, the trigger of horse of going down the drain. But um, hey, and Lee, I'm, I'm up against a break here. What you got? Oh, that's it. I'm just saying we're gonna you're gonna see it become an inner city school system that much faster. And and how can we prevent that as a city? Because we need in order to attract top talent and top companies, we don't need to have an inner city school system. Okay. All right, Lee. Appreciate you. Got her under a break. I'm hard on it. Um, good call. But. Uh, let me, Bruma, take us to the break right now. I just I ran that one long trying to give her a chance to finish her thought. But um, uh, so the bottom line is this, folks: there is room for improvement. Uh, anybody argue with that? And secondly, if you're all about the idea of testing has to be so important, well, then why aren't you about it now without the tax dollars? It, it, it must be something you philosophically care about, but yet only when the tax dollars are attached. Hmm. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. So Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. And, you know, I, I said on Friday, I was talking about the fact that they were doing a, uh, a fundraising opportunity for a, a local elementary PTA. Uh, I think it was Harvest Elementary School um, just the other day, Saturday. And, and what I love about Just Love Coffee Cafe is, yes, they have great coffee. Yes, they have an, a, a great menu. But they have, they have the desire to do more than just be coffee and food. Uh, they, they literally pride themselves on giving back to the community. And they also, by the way, and this is even on their website. I, I pulled it up to see it again. Uh, they say that coffee shops, in their opinion, occupy an important space in many of our lives because of their unique ability to fulfill so many of our needs, like socializing, studying, working, resting, and reading in an atmosphere that suits our taste and make us feel like we belong. I love that. That's exactly, and by the way, I've, 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 both these locations, Hughes Road in Madison, South Parkway in Huntsville, Just Love Coffee Cafes, um, I've been to both. And they, they literally feel like the kind of place where you can hang out. Like you, you, like you want to maybe bring your laptop with you and do some work while you're there or read a book or you know, just occupy a table in the corner and talk to a friend for an hour. And that's what they design it for that. It's not like they're fast food, get them in, get them out. Just Love Coffee Cafe is really as much about the environment as anything else. So check them out. Two locations, Hughes Road in Madison, South Parkway in Huntsville. Just Love Coffee Cafe. And tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. Um, so I'll go to the text lines a few more. Boomer, this thing blew the text lines up. Uh, yes, it did. Uh, you, you're over there just talking. I know. No I'm talking to a muted mic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I but, should know this. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, by the way, I'd only got a B plus from uh, John from Huntsville today. Oh, I thought because he, you only got the two. I think he was. I thought he was giving me free reign to go without the third dipper, uh, and then he then he came back and just crushed me on the grade. So uh, anyway, whatever, man. God, John, hard. <laughs> uh, Brad from Limestone County says when you take tax dollars from everyone and spend them on a subset of those taxpayers rather than something that benefits everyone, that's not liberty. I'm not sure where he's going here. Uh, if you have kids, that's the only subset we're looking at, period. Now, I will say this. If he's talking about Representative Terry Collins trying to amend the bill potentially to only be for certain people, then I would agree. You're not, you're not taking a liberty mindset. You're not looking at an across-the-board opportunity. But you're not taking anything from anybody, Brad. At all. These are dollars that are going to be spent anyway. All we're saying is, if they're going to be spent anyway, how about spending them in a better way? And so if the tax dollars exist, which they do, if the children exist, which they do, if education is a requirement according to our state constitution, which it is, then shouldn't we do it in the best possible way? There is no socialism at, in, at play here with funding education. The question is, how do you fund it? And if you fund it strictly from a purely government-driven, this is how you'll do it, like it or lump it, doesn't matter how good it is, then you're delving into socialism. But if you are saying that thing which we are going to have to do as required by our Constitution will be done in a manner that gives freedom of choice and freedom of movement and freedom of expression and the opportunity for a better way because the parents have a say in it as opposed to just the government, you're not... You're not you're not doing socialism then. Donna from Coleman says, I'm all for school choice, but how do you ensure teacher quality? They do it now. They do it now. Donna, I don't think it's going to be an issue. 
Man, the text lines are still blowing. I can't keep up, Boomer. All right, you guys, we'll do more tomorrow. Boomer and I back here tomorrow at 2. You guys have an amazing night. We'll see you then. Side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.